0: We're live. We're live. Hey, Travis. Hey, Dylan.
1: <laughs> okay. Great to see you, man. And I'm glad you're coming and hanging out here with uh, uh, with me on the Eat Wild podcast. Now, this is a, a bit of a unique podcast because I'm introducing you to the concept of the swap cast. And this is uh, where basically we're just getting together for a conversation. And as we get into this, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about what Silvercore does and your journey into podcasting.
0: Well, well school me on a Swapcast,
1: what does okay, that mean? Okay, 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 okay. Um, so the, the the podcast concept is, is something that was introduced to me by the the Rookie Hunters and the, um, the Journal of Mountain Hunting podcast. And basically it's just an opportunity where you hang out with the host of another podcast and then you essentially share that podcast on each other's platform. And really it's an opportunity for me to get introduced to your followers and, and the people who are listening to the Silvercore podcast and then flip it around and, and uh, well, of course you get to hang out with, with me and, and my the, the vast listening audience, I'd like to say, of the Eat Wild podcast. So either way, we, we uh, get to meet a few people and still just have Fantastic. a bit of
0: fun. Yeah, yeah that so, sounds great. I mean. Your audience, Silvercore audience, there's going to be a lot of crossover there anyways. And if they haven't heard of the eWild podcast on Silvercore, then now uh, they can go check it out and vice versa. If the eWild audience hasn't heard of Silvercore, guess what? We've got a podcast. Check it out. There you go. Perfect. Okay. So starting there. Hey, so let's do the formal introduction.
1: Okay. Everybody, welcome to the Wild Podcast. I'm sitting down with my friend, Travis from Silvercore and, uh, Travis has been involved in the, like the training industry for, for, uh, well, for some time now and, uh, focused on, you know, firearms training, hunting training, and he's taken that business into a whole bunch of cool directions. Uh, lately he's been playing around with developing the Silvercore Podcast and, uh, Without further ado, welcome, welcome Travis. Welcome to the Eat Well podcast and the Swapcast with the Silvercore podcast. Welcome. Hey, I'm
0: looking forward to it. We always have fun when we do these things.
1: Yeah, we we did this, uh, gosh, a while back and it was actually one of my, the more popular podcasts that we talked about, we kind of got into um, like firearms and, and, uh, firearms maintenance. And, uh, That's I had right. a lot of feedback. That was probably the one podcast that generated the most people kind of reaching out and saying, Hey, I actually learned something in your podcast and, um, and really appreciated the knowledge. So, so yeah, that one, that one carried us.
0: Yeah. That was my very first podcast. And you know, I never really listened to podcasts prior to, I, I there was one live podcast I went to, I just. Don't seem to have the time to listen unless I'm driving and I've situated my work and everything so close to my home that uh, I, I just didn't know much about them. You introduced me to the podcast world, Dylan. And here you are, now you're like, now
1: you try to find time just to do have that nice conversation and by the sounds of it, you're, you're a little bit hooked on doing it, you're having some fun. So tell me a little bit about the Silvercore podcast and what's it about and uh,
0: yeah, where are you heading with it? Oh, it's great fun. You know, it was a, Not having listened to podcasts really before, it was a complete new experience. Like, what am I supposed to do? What do I talk about? Right? What are people actually going to be listening to this? And after doing the podcast with you, got, you know, kind of an idea of uh, the format and what people are looking for. And I took my office here in Tilbury and decided, I know let's move the entire office staff out of here, got another location in Ladner and turned the Tilbury location into a studio. So we've got, I picked up some video cameras for some of the online stuff that we do and my office, I don't know, it's hard to see from this, uh, uh, we're using an online service here, but I've gone and soundproofed it and set it up as a podcast room and uh, just slowly plugging away, having a lot of fun with it. And really I'm the reason why I'm doing it is because it's fun. It's a positive outlet and it's a chance to share with others my passion and it seems to be well received, similar to what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been fun. And I think more than anything this time of year, over this time of year, this, this year in particular, just with trying to stay connected, a lot of us are using these video platforms just to see our families and friends and, you know, have a virtual beer with your crew, um. So really this is just a way of connecting with, you know, and, and that's what actually this series of podcasts is and why I called you up is I was like, well, it's, it's, ta- it's the tail end of hunting season. You know, I, I'm going to call up my buddies and like, you know, st- you know, talk about hunting and how the season was. So why not do that uh, and get my act together, record it and call it a podcast series. So this is like the catching up with my hunting partners or hunting buddies uh, series and and then hopefully tackle one question for each, for each episode. So we're going to get caught up a little bit. And then I think the topic, I, I you know, one of the questions that I get, and 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 you no doubt get this as well as a as a hunting educator and as someone who you know certifies people to be and for firearms and firearm safety is like what what firearm should I buy if I was going to buy one firearm what firearm should I buy, and you know that that conversation I find it, it's a you know I I find I've been through it a number of times but I thought hey if we record it on a podcast. Then next time someone asks you that question, which will probably be tomorrow, you can be like, "Hey, you can listen to my podcast about which gun you should buy as a new hunter." So, ah, so really, you. we're winning on all fronts
0: here. You know, look at the yeah. you. I like it. <laughs> so hunting, I saw you. You and Rob actually, you guys pulled yourself a pretty nice muley there just on the weekend, didn't you? That's was blacktail. That was
1: a. That's my first blacktail. Oh, you got the, a black? Not very nice. Yeah, Rob took me to one of his um, secret spots, and uh, I've been kind of hacking around. Like I'm not. Typically I'm kind of done hunting by this time of year. I, I usually, you know, have, I usually wrap up my hunting season around November, well, November 15th. So, I, so at the end of my whitetail hunt and then usually I've got a whitetail and hopefully I've got a meal day earlier in the season and, and I'm feeling pretty set for the year, but I didn't get a whitetail this year and and um, I also couldn't go back out for a whitetail because there was the provincial regulations around um, uh, not traveling here in British Columbia. And so I sort of committed to, uh, you know, spending some time locally and exploring the blacktail hunting opportunities. And it's, I kind of was dabbling in it earlier this, this, uh, this month, I got out for a couple of weekends to a spot that a friend of mine, an old timer friend of mine has been trying to put me on for a while and kind of got a bit of a taste for it. Like just found a few blacktails. I was like, oh, mm. they like this really steep, challenging, ugly, hard to climb through forest. Okay. Mm. I f- think I know where they live now. And so I was kind of excited to dedicate some more time to it. So that
0: was uh So you didn't get yourself your whitetail this year, eh? Cause that's sort of your no, thing. You're, you're known for that. It's, I just, oh man, I, it's, it's
1: a, I was feeling like really in the dumps about it too. Like mm. I, and, and not, not because I didn't kill a deer. That's actually not at all. I mean, I had, it's the, it's this the, the change in ecosystems that I like to hunt. Like the, the place mm. that I like to hunt, there's been a lot of forestry activity in the area, and it's just reducing the amount of winter range available for the deer, elk, uh, white-tail and mule deer in the area. So every year I go back, it's just like one less place that I I used to hunt for like my whole life is gone, like, and it's just nuked and it's like, oh, well, great. And so, yeah. you know, it's 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 just kind of heartbreaking when you're like, wow, it, there's a reason, like when I was a kid, we used to see, like I used to be a like, good day was I see 20 deer and four or five bucks and I saw three bucks this year, which was last year. I only saw one buck in, mm. you know, ten days of hunting. This year, I I, I actually had three opportunities at at, at deer, and I, yeah, it just didn't work out this year. But um, yeah, I figure three opportunities is still pretty good for a six or seven day hunt. Yeah, you hunted hard last waytails. year. Yeah, last year was brutal. Like yeah. last year was the same thing. So so it's sort of feeling like this. I knew this was coming. I knew there was going to be a a year that I you know this is so this would it, this is the first year since I was 12 years old that I didn't kill a white-tailed deer. And so it was a good run, Hmm. but, uh, had to come to an end.
0: (laughs) Well, there you go. So
1: so I took it out on some poor (laughs) (laughs) blacktail. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I was eager to get back out there and, uh, I found a new spot and, um, ended some nice timber and, uh, yeah, I had a great hunt. Beauty. Learned something new, which I liked the best, found a new spot. So I'm pumped, and I might be hooked on blacktail hunting because it's so goddamn hard. So <laughs> you yeah. love the challenge, do you? Well, like I like finding places. Hey, mm-hmm. like just finding places. It's like you you got to put on a lot of miles. You got to figure things out. You you puzzle it out, and then uh, yeah, if you can find a spot, then it's man,
0: it's just it's it's cool when it works out. Yeah, but I think it's you nailed a lot work it. To get there, you nailed it. It's like a puzzle. You start putting everything together and relying on what you know, and it, it's a learning process as well through it. It's uh, it, it, that is a fun part. No, oh, I love it. Okay. So, so this is what we're
1: doing. We're talking hunting and we're getting caught up. So what was the highlight of your, of your hunting season this year?
0: Oh, highlight that would definitely be uh well, my son got his first deer, 11 years old. So last year, 10 years old, all he wanted for his birthday was to get his hunting license. He wanted to get his FWID, Fish and Wildlife ID is what we call it in BC. And so he studied and studied and studied and finally on his birthday, went in, took him to another instructor, had him go through. He aced it, super happy and went out, did some hunting, but he wasn't doing any harvesting in his first year. And so this year we go out and actually there was a, uh, uh, for waterfowl heritage days. So out in BC, we've got our heritage days, which the, uh, junior hunters, youth hunters can get out a little bit early before everybody else and learn what it's all about. And so from one of our local gun stores in Ladner, Stillwater Sports, there's a guy there by the name of Jens Cuthbert, and he's got an Instagram account. If you're into waterfowl hunting, it's 604 backward, no 604 backwoods, not backwards, 604 backwoods and he lives and breathes and sleeps that this is what he does is waterfowl hunting. He says, Trav, tell you what, I'll, uh, if, if your son's interested, waterfowl heritage days, come on out. So, um, took him out and he used to do guiding in the States for waterfowl. And we actually did a silver core podcast where he talks about how, how new people can get into it in the lower mainland and find their spots and all the ins and outs there. So anyways, went out and my son got his first mallard. And was stoked because he said, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know if I'd be able to, uh, I didn't know what it'd be like, right. Uh, mm-hmm. having to harvest an animal. And so a week later we're out and he's got himself a, a draw for a, a mule deer doe. We head on out and we're driving out of Delta and we see in Burns Bog a deer, we're like, oh, hey, good sign, this is looking good. <laughs> And then we get out to our location and we don't see anything, right? We're not seeing anything when we're out Perfect. there. Yeah. So 20
1: minutes from the house, there's a deer, and that, then you get out, you in the got middle, it. You drive for five hours.
0: and Th- That's yeah. right. And so we get out there and putting the time in. And so anyways, one morning, just miserable out and we're out there bright and early and figure we're in a pretty good location and he's getting cold. And I got to remember 11 years old, you got to keep it fun too, right? You can't just be. hmm not just be um, going hard. So we get back into the vehicle and we're warming up. And I say, tell you what, there's another area around the corner scouted. It looked promising. Let's just go for a real quiet walk, right? We'll get out into this mm-hmm. area. We'll check it out. And so we do, and we're about, uh, about 20 minutes into our walk and I'm looking up on the hillside and there we go. There's a, uh, There's his doe that he's got to draw for, but I'm looking, it's kind of far and he's been practicing at the range and I'm thinking, you know, I I want to close that distance. Well, let's see what we can do. So I don't tell him and we're just still doing the quiet walk and getting closer and closer. And I'm, it, the deer's just standing there and I'm like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. We finally get into a position where felt, okay, we've closed enough distance. It's a perfect broadside shot. And I look back to my son I said, okay. And we've, he's got some electronic hearing protection. I said, okay, ears on, He said, ears are on. I said, okay, load your firearm. You look up on the hill there. There's a deer and he's loaded it on up and he gets on up and I said, uh, maybe get to a kneeling position. Oh, right. Okay. So he gets down, gets to a little bit more stable platform and. I said, okay, safety. Oh, right. Yeah. Safety. Here we go. <laughs> and I mean, everything's going through the head and I thought, well, now it's up to him, right? And if he, mm-hmm. if he pulls a trigger, fair enough. If he doesn't fair enough, I mean, it's up to him, right? Mm-hmm. And he did and he made the shot. And, then um, we, uh, watched, sat there, waited for about half an hour, 45 minutes and. Said, okay, Perfect. let's get on out there and, uh, let's do some tracking. Got in and man, he was, um, just ecstatic. And so I, I got to say that, that was the, the highlight of the hunting trip. We've cooking up some, um, back straps over the campfire at night and re- recounting the story and coming back and making some burgers. And I mean, he, he was just in heaven and, uh, my wife was there. Is and she's a uh, chef by, by trade. And so helping him out and identifying and doing all the butchering. And so this is all a part of his schooling process as well is, is the hunting and the butchering and the cooking, because due to COVID we've, uh, uh, one's in high school and the other one, we thought, well, we'll, we'll homeschool. He can, he's doing his uh, ground school for pilot training and hunting and all the things that a boy wants to do and just, why not? Right? Yeah. Right on. So, so that, that had to be a <laughs> highlight for me. How about you? Yeah.
1: Oh, well, that's fun. I, I was just thinking about how cool, it would be to be like, to be 11 years old and dad's like, you know what, you're out of school, you're going to hunt a lot this summer. And, uh, that's <laughs> this, this fall. Cause, uh, that would be my dream of school as a kid. So.
0: And you know what, it's what he cool. wants. And if it's not actually, we're talking about it today. Cause he and I went out on a real quick hunt here, just in uh, the lower mainland for some waterfowl. And, uh, he says, you know, when I get older, do you think my kids will want to hunt with me? I said, well. You'd be pretty lucky if they do. He said, if they're not into hunting, he says, well, what if they're, what if they're totally not into hunting? What if they're, what if they're vegans? (laughs) And I said, if they're vegans, you know, as long as you guys are respectful of each other, I'm sure it'll be just fine, but you'll be very lucky if they share some of the same hobbies and And passions as you. And there's lots of cool
1: foraging you can do out there. That's it. Like you can go get mushrooms and cool wild plants and berries and you can. That's it. You can bring your gun and you know, you, you can shoot a grouse and your, your kids can pick berries and mushrooms, you know, it's all good. Yeah. Figure it out.
0: It'll all be good. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, for sure. Well, I, I totally, I shared a little bit of that same experience this year. My, my friend Mickey, who I spent a lot of time with and, um she had wants to be a hunter and she did dedicated a lot of time to becoming a hunter. And, uh, and so I, I was on, on riding shotgun for her first hunt and, uh, very similar to your story, but, uh, I won't tell it cause I, I, have got her lined up to tell her story with one of our, another one of our friends, who's also a very successful huntress, so, so I gotta, I gotta leave that story for them to tell. Oh, very and, cool. Yeah. Uh, not gonna, not gonna step on her story, but man, I tell you like that, like there's nothing better than being there for somebody else's first hunt or any hunt really just being along Oh, it's fantastic. that, yeah, 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 totally. It's a whole process.
0: That's, that's what I enjoy is being out there, being in the woods, connecting with nature and just a process of sort of disconnecting from the day to day, the technology, the cell phones, computers and all the rest, and just kind of getting back to the basics and whether I'm successful on a hunt or not, it really doesn't matter to me, you know, I, I go hunting with some people and you know, they gotta be successful and that's the whole hunts around that. And if they're not successful, it kind of makes for a, a, a negative hunt or a kind of a, a crummy experience. Right. And, and so I've, yeah. uh, hopefully instilling the same sort of values in my children and it, it seems to be sticking anyways.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I totally know what you, I, I, I fight off that, uh, that sentiment of, of, of needing to have success you know, on a hunt. Like I, I, I'm conscious of it constantly, like how much, like I, I, obviously I'm a bit of a driver when it comes to hunting, given the amount right. of the hunt and how passionate about I am. But I, yeah. I'm, my friends have commented lately. They're like, Dylan, like, this is great. Like, you're really like, you're really chilling out. It's kind of a conscious decision I, like, I, 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 I finally realized now, that, like, you know, You can control a lot of things when you hunt. I mean, it's all about effort and time spent, but I've really come to a point now where I recognize that I have enough confidence in my approach to hunting that if I just apply my approach and give myself enough time, that it's going to work out. If it's going to work out, it's going to work out. That's it. I don't like, it's it, like, exactly. So so I don't need to have it.
0: What can you really control? And you say you can control a lot of things. You can plan for a lot of things. You can put different things in place. But the actual control factor, I mean, I mean, if you want to get real esoteric, what did Viktor Frankl say? He's about control. The one thing, essentially the only thing you can control is, is yourself. And he was that guy in the concentration camp, right? Who had all his everything taken from, and he was watching people and some were just beside themselves and just completely overwhelmed. And some people are finding happiness despite all of the adversity they're facing. And he says, the one thing you can't take from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last life's great freedoms is one's ability to control their own attitude in any given circumstance. So really, if when I look at it, I kind of boil it down to that, if I'm out there and I'm having fun, great. I can put all the pieces in place and it can all go sideways, right? But yeah, I, I yeah. can control that wh- whether I choose to be having fun with that or not.
1: Totally, totally know, and that's something I'm, I'm learning that as I get older, and, and and well, I've known it forever. It just you know, as you get older, you apply. It's a life lesson. You just have to apply it, and apply yeah. it, and apply it, and then and when you see that, when you see that competitive nature or that that person inside you coming out, you're like, oh, he, you know what? I know better. I know that I'm going to enjoy this more if I just like let that go and, and allow myself to enjoy the moment and the place and the people around me, and not get caught up in the outcomes because. That just leads to problems in the end. And for me anyways, and, um.
0: I yeah. think so, you know, but you know, everyone's different.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, anyways, I'm having a lot of fun these days hunting and, and, uh, and still having success, even despite, you know, not being as, <laughs> as caught up in outcomes, so yeah, it's all great. So it all worked out this year and I had a great, yeah. Great, great last, well, had a great season, so I like, can't complain, but yeah, well, that's fantastic. cool. I, I was, I was riding shotgun too for, no, I wasn't quite riding shotgun, I was at uh, <laughs> a good, good friend, Ryan, um, he bought his son to whitetail camp, who was 10. And uh, Wyatt is like, oh, he's just, I just love this kid. He's just so, he's such a hunter and uh, he's, his dad's a really good hunter too, which is cool. Like they, and they, um they've been hunting mule deer, like together in the South Okanagan, sneaking around and and they've, they've killed a few deer together, all, like sneaking around, dad's, yeah. dad's shot, you know, nice deer. And, and uh, this, this year the plan was to get Wyatt his first his first deer, he's 10 years old and he's legal ready to go. And, uh, the plan was to try and get him his first, first buck and, uh, and they ended up sneaking up on a white tail buck laying in its bed and, uh, they got wow. into 80 yards and Wyatt shot it. So I got to say like, that's pretty good hunting, man, if you could sneak up on a white tail. No and, kidding. Uh, especially two of you. I was pretty <laughs> impressed. So yeah, the little guy was so chuffed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stars and are they, lining up so on that one. We They're all,
0: doing their job right. It, it,
1: well, you know what, Ryan is such a good hunter. He, he, he kind of had it all figured out how mm-hmm. he was going to do it and, uh, and he made it happen and uh, picked kind of a spot that's conducive to, to making it happen. And, uh, but the best part was, is like the, that little kid that he was like, so they, they shot the deer pretty early in the morning and they got it back to, um, back to camp. Uh, and so like, yeah, they, like he, I'm sure he was just like, couldn't wait for the rest of the hunting, like camp to come <laughs> back at like noon. Like Oh, uh, like so proud. Yeah, so proud. It was yeah. so awesome when I came back, and yeah, it was like, yeah, that was about the, the most fun as I've had. Uh, yeah, this yeah. season, so pretty cool. But hey, okay, cool. Um, hey, so we we didn't do a great job of talking about what your podcast's about um,
0: and what what you're up like what you're up to with your podcast. So we really didn't. You know, you've got the Eat Wild podcast, and right there in the title, it says eat wild. I mean, there's a descriptor of what the podcast <laughs> is going to be about. So, so I've, I've got the Silvercore podcast and of course Silvercore is my business and I named it after my grandfather, Silver Armando, my other grandfather, Cornelius Bader, Silver and Core. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh, it, cool. I didn't know that. One was a Vancouver police detective. The other one was a entrepreneur. Ran a large bakery. I, he would say that they were bigger than Dad's oatmeal cookies. <laughs> and they, he was. <laughs> they made cookies, but um, they owned a city block or so in in around Commercial Drive, by the Croatian Cultural Center is now with bakeries. So I thought, well, you know, it, I'm into the firearms thing, and that's kind of like one grandfather. And then I've got the uh, the entrepreneurial spirit. It's like the other one. I'll just combine them together. So there isn't a heck of a lot of descriptor for what it is we do. And the podcast, while we talk about hunting, firearms, fishing, foraging, outdoor related activities, really it's an outlet for me just to bring positivity into the community. Uh, I don't do it for any remuneration, remuneration, and it's got the silver core name, so whatever, publicity that can bring on in for the company. Well, hey, that's great. But aside from that, uh, I, I, try to find interesting people and talk about things that are going to be, typically I stay away from the politics and stay away from uh, Uber contentious issues that are going to be divisive. Uh, because it, it is a positive outlet for me. Like I've, I had uh, guy Kramer in and he invented the invisible cloak and it sounds funny <laughs> it, until he brings it in and shows it to you. <laughs> Yeah. And it's an array of lenticular lenses with a special fluid in between and it refracts light in such a way that you can get behind it and you disappear, but the background doesn't. And it, it so we talked about that cause it's got some, it's got some crossover in the camouflage world, right? Um, yeah. we had Colin Dowler and I actually, I flew into his location and uh, spoke with him and he was in an encounter with a grizzly bear and f- fought it off with his pocket knife. Well, he was in the grizzly's mouth being mauled and I mean, the guy almost died. Then he had to get on his bicycle and bike about seven K back with his one good leg bleeding everywhere. And so it really doesn't have a pinpoint direction for the podcast, but if you're interested in hunting, if you're interested in fishing and foraging and outdoor related activities, we, we try to have the podcast navigate around those topics, but it really is just a a positive outlet for people to uh, uh, hopefully learn and listen and uh, enjoy something new.
1: Yeah, right on. And, and I, and I like, I, I think it's so important. I mean, and, and, you know, I definitely wouldn't keep it, keep it, I listen a bit to, to your podcast for sure. And I, and I see, I keep, keep track of you and I, and I see what you're, you know, I, I think that bringing that positive lens to like, you know, I'm really trying to bring that positive lens to the hunting. Yeah. That's what Eat Well has been about the whole time. And I, and I see you doing that really for the, the firearms education world and like you're, you're telling positive stories as one of the leaders in firearms education in, um, here in in Canada. And I think it's great to have your voice at the front of that talking about not just firearms, but you know, the spectrum of things that are part of a a way of life that include firearms. And I kind of like that. I think it's, I think it's important and I think we need more of that because I think a lot of people who are, who are perceived as the voice of the firearms advocacy world that aren't doing a good job of communicating with the broader society. And I and I applaud you for, for doing that and taking these steps. I think you're doing a good job of it, so.
0: Well, thanks Dylan, appreciate
1: that. And it's hard, And it's hard work, it's a hard place to sit because you end up, uh, everybody's, there's still controversy when it comes to people's perception of firearms and such. So,
0: And and that's it. Yeah. It's, it, there is a perception and it's an emotionally charged topic for some, especially for anybody who's been negatively affected by a firearm, far be it from me to try and change their mind, but I can speak to the things that I know and the things that are positive. And if other people can take some level of positivity away from that, great. Cool.
1: Well, that this that lends itself Right to our topic here. Okay. Talking about, yeah, we're good. So, so the reason why I thought, I mean, other than just wanting to say hello and catching up and sharing a couple of hunting stories, I, I did want to talk about, like I said at the, be, at the introduction, just like one of the most common questions that I get as a hunting instructor, which is, you know, what firearm should I buy as a new hunter? And I thought of you because I know you, you're, I believe in addition to doing all the things you've talked about, you're also a gunsmith and uh, you're, you know, and you've been training people around firearms for a long time. So I figure you're the right guy ask this question. So, okay. So the, fir- the first question is if, what should, what should the first firearm that a new hunter should buy?
0: The very first firearm, and now this is going to be for a hunter and not just a sports shooter, we're saying, right?
1: No, no yeah, we're, we're thinking, we're, we're, we're going through the lens of somebody who's on the trajectory that wants to become a, you know, an ethical, safe, successful hunter.
0: So there's a. Now you do realize that these are wormhole questions that we're going into. And the reason why people ask it is because everyone's got an opinion and the best thing that I think you and I can do right now is share our experience with the listeners so that they can make the best educated decision that that works for them, because what's going to be the first firearm for me or for my family members or for you might not be the best for them. There's a lot of talk of, oh, hey, you should start out with a 22. And I don't disagree with that because it gets you familiar with firearm safety. It gets you familiar with something that's not going to break the bank. It's not going to recoil a whole time. You're not going to have pain from recoil. The most offensive thing for the 22 for the shooter standpoint is going to be the noise. And it's really not that loud compared to most of these firearms, right? And that. Logic is sound if somebody wants to just start out and learn how to use that firearm and maybe they want to do some small game hunting, mm-hmm. uh, but there are principles that you learn on a 22 that some would argue would have to relearn on a firearm that's going to uh, be inducing recoil. And sure. so some people, some proponents would say, get something that's going to do what you needed to do for the larger game first and go into it mm. with Firearms, for some people, anyways, they can be a a gateway to more firearms. Right? <laughs> the, the collection gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's because there is no perfect caliber or no perfect gun. But if someone's okay, well, come, but for the. Pr- for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to assume
1: that we're talking to somebody who lives in a condo in downtown Vancouver. Okay, that is going to struggle to find a place even to put this gun or two guns. We'll say so. Not, I think. We, I, I think that you know. I think the end result of the uh, uh, of where these folks want to get to is the least amount of investment in firearms for the maximum amount of practical application and. And that, that seems to me the core of the discussion that I, that I get from people or, or and, and the other thing is is like, I think people want to, I mean, as much as I'd like to talk about calibers and the virtues of the different calibers and, and what the performances are and ballistic um, qualities are, I think at the end of the day that, that I think it's helpful for a number of people just to be told what to do from an expert with sound concept. So. Get this gun. Full go. Yeah, well, yeah,
0: but let's, let, let's try and so say it's, that. It's three guns. It's our end result. It's three okay. guns that they're looking for. They're looking for a 22, they're looking for a shotgun and they're looking for a center fire rifle. And then you've kind of yep. got the gamut for everything. Uh, the shotgun yep. allows you to not have to drive too far in order to learn from other people how to, to use that firearm. If you're in the lower mainland area anyways, I mean, th- we've got the Vancouver gun club, which is in Richmond, but it's called the Vancouver gun club. Mm-hmm. And you can take your shotgun out there. Yeah, the ammo doesn't cost a bunch of money. You can shoot around a sporting clays. You can learn from other people. And it's sort of like a quick round of golf. Essentially you go on through the backwoods there, clay birds fly up in the air, or they got the, the mm-hmm. little rabbits that, that run along that they uh, a different type of clay that will uh, run along the ground and you get to learn how to use that shotgun. And if you wanted to get into waterfowl hunting, well, I mean, it's pretty close, we've got a lot of areas right here Uh, and we've got that podcast through Silvercore, here we go, shameless plug. But where um, Dennis Zentner and Jens Cuthbert go through and talk people through how to get into waterfowl hunting if they're the Vancouver urbanite. Um, so that, that would be one. The 22 is great because ammo's cheap. You, Mm -hmm. the 22, isn't going to break the bank and you can learn about firearms usage. You can practice your firearm safety and you can start taking it out to do target practice or small game hunting. And Mm -hmm. so the the 22 is a great resource there. And then finally, they're going to be looking for a center fire rifle. Well, okay, before we go on to, um,
1: the fire. let's, let's talk about, well, there's two things you brought up, which I really thought, well, that are interesting. So let, before let's, we'll come back to the 22, but I do like, you know, that, that I, the one thing about a shotgun and like the work, and and I haven't done a great job with this as a, as a hunting instructor or even as Eat Wild, who has lived so close to, well, who has been advocating for accessible hunts like duck hunting and, and goose hunting is probably, um, the most accessible hunt and we, you know, we have an overpopulation of geese here uh, arguably, uh, throughout the lower mainland. And if you can find a way to, to gain access to a piece of property where geese live, um, and hunt there legally, um, it's an awesome resource. So it's not a bad way to say like, you know, if you want to hunt and you want to get some confidence and learn about shooting and, then yeah, going the shotgun route and hunting, you know, waterfowl or migratory game birds is a great idea. Sure. And the the other piece that I I really liked what you said there, and I I hadn't thought about it, but like the accessibility and how much fun it is to go to, to shoot skeet and, uh, to go, to go to a, like a shotgun range and shoot clay birds, Mm -hmm. uh, basically flying discs. And, uh, and then just the tremendous support and mentorship that's at those types of clubs. Cause it's, it, it really is like, it's, it's really fun. Like it's a it's really supportive, fun environment.
0: It's totally fun. If you go there with the attitude to learn and without a chip on your shoulder, which basically everyone does when they go to these places, people flock to you cause they want to help you and share what they know with you. And sometimes it might get a little overwhelming. You say, okay, okay, hold on. I got to put things together on my own a little bit here, but uh, yeah, th- there's no shortage of people who want to help you.
1: Yeah, no, I I've, I've experienced that. I, I've had a lot of fun at uh, you know just getting to know uh, yeah some some of the the older generation that are passionate about shooting, and I think it's a you know honestly I I, I do I, they probably recognize it as probably something that needs a bit of new blood to be entered into these clubs and into and to use these facilities. Otherwise, they're just not going to exist much mm-hmm. longer. So I think they you know they embrace new people coming around, and and it's absolutely a hoot. And and I like how you li- liken it to a, around a golf because it's you know. I think for fifteen bucks you buy a box of shells, and you buy two boxes of shells, and you can go goof around for a couple hours and shoot a few rounds of skeet or or, or or rounds of birds, and it's uh, clay birds, I should say. And uh, boy, is it fun! So yeah, I think that's totally. a cool cool thing to do, and I, and and uh, it hasn't really been something that I've done a lot of, and and uh, but it's something that I think that yeah, I should be I should be talking about that more, and I'm glad you brought it up. So okay, that's one option. Get out there with your shotgun, and learn to shoot skeet. Tons of lessons there, transition to birds, you'll fill your freezer. That totally.
0: Means. Totally. <laughs> and, and that's an obsession as well. I mean, we, we did a podcast with a, uh, uh, three new hunters that just got into it little by little, and then they got the boat and then they're getting further, further. Actually, they ended up finding a, um, a body in the marsh. And so that was what the podcast was about. Whoa. That, was, that was an, in, that was an interesting one and ended up getting the hovercraft and RCMP in there. Oh the dear. D- yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, and, and I see actually meat eater, uh, just ran something about that, uh, a week ago, I think it was just what to do if you're in the woods and you find okay. something like that. Uh, I can't say I know too many people that it happens to, but I know those three people. Anyways, that one took a bit of a turn. Wow,
1: that's terrible. Yeah, for sure. That wasn't where you expected to go, but. Yeah.
0: Right. So uh, uh, the one gun, I don't know who says it, beware the Beware the man with one gun, he knows how to use it or beware the person with one gun. They know how to use it. Right. Um, (laughs) Well, let's go back to 22
1: cause I think that's an important conversation that I, you know, I want to reinforce, you know, just the value of a 22. And I, um, you know, that you mentioned it's, 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 uh, it's cheap to shoot and that's one thing that, uh, you know, the one thing I like about the 22, it's also, it's not loud. It's not, it's not, um, like you can take a 22 and go out to a a logging slash where in a legal shooting area and you can set up some targets and and you can just have some good fun shooting recreation in a safe way and it's not super loud so you're not going to be like you know blowing out the entire valley if people are camped down below you or nearby which is you know the reality of shooting high powered firearms is it can be it can really affect the the whole experience for other people if Mm -hmm. you're not in an appropriate range or you know, well back and away from other recreating people. But um definitely spent some time in, you know, the the Chilliwack Valley for both my work and I poked around there looking for 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 you know places to actually shoot. Right. (laughs) And, (laughs) And it's it's really like it's pretty intense what's happening in terms of uh the shooting culture that's happening there. And uh um pretty intense. So I, I would encourage people to definitely like get, get a 22 because then you can take it with you when you go camping in the summer and, you know, drive out of town and maybe you, part of your recreational plan is to set aside a couple hours to practice your marks personship and shoot a bunch and have some fun with it and hopefully not have an impact on other people as you're shooting. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. When you say it's intense, are you talking about yahoos?
1: Oh God, like I've never. <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't even think it's, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good about it because I, I, I'll talk to people and I'll be like, hey, how's it going? And, you know, but it, it's intense because there's a lot of activity going on, there's a lot of people. Okay. Who who are set up shooting uh, four by fouring, um, you know, God knows what they're up to. It's like you're, you're, and and of course, like I'm a park ranger, right? Like I can't help it. Like you know, I look at everybody through, like, mm, are they a good camper? <laughs> I don't know. I might have to write these guys a ticket. You know, like are they gonna have an illegal fire? Like I, I can't help it, right? So uh-huh. I I sort of I, I look everybody up and down as uh, as to whether or not they're gonna be, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, good, a good, a good park user. But uh, so obviously they're perfectly in their legal right to set up and shoot, uh, result, provided they're doing it safely. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I just, uh, the intensity of it, the amount of what's going on makes it, you know, like, wow, okay, there's just lots going
0: on. Do it safely, clean up after yourself, be courteous of others, basic, you know, things that your mother should have taught you. And it goes a long way to ensuring that you still have places in the future to use those firearms and practice with them or hunt. So it's, uh, y- you do see Yahoo's once in a while. And I think that's like uh, sort of the, uh, the scary side of it, uh, but more and more, you know, I'm, I'm seeing cleanup groups go out and clean up the outdoors where others may have left, uh, they bring out fridges and microwaves and different things well, they want to shoot and leave. Apparently if you shoot it enough, like a microwave or a fridge
1: enough times, it'll eventually biodegrade. That seems to be the policy. for Some <laughs> people out there, <laughs> like really? <laughs> like, well, that mattress—if you shoot it with enough shotguns, sh- shotgun BBs, it'll just disappear. Okay, I see what you're trying to do here, but it's not working, pal. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. It's it's so disheartening to see that the mess left behind. But you know, a lot of people are out there cleaning up, and the you know the backcountry hunters and anglers here, Region Two team. I mean, they they they've done a number of cleanups just trying to you know try to reduce the impact to some, some of the areas that have been, you know, d- you know, a little bit overwhelmed with the, the litter left behind by that type of user. But, right. but like you said, you know, be responsible, be respectful, clean up after yourself and we can all continue to enjoy these places and, and take advantage of the opportunity to shoot. Cause.
0: And I have a feeling that people listening to this podcast are all in that group. Otherwise they probably wouldn't find too much of interest in, in these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it, I it's care. all we can to talk Preach about, right? Yeah. Preaching to the converted, right? Right, so, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, that's cool. Okay, let, let's go to, so the, so the other things about 22 that I was interested in, um, so the, the part that was, I, I thought it was an interesting comment was, um, about like replicating the experience and, and may it might be best to have, you know, say going with a high powered rifle because you have to relearn things from a 22, um,
0: They used to teach the police back in the day to use 22 revolvers before moving on to the 38 special and the 357. Right. And they figured we'll go over the principles of marksmanship and we'll get them keyed right in. But they found that when they upped it and they had the noise to contend with and the recoil, they had to retrain them again. And it was not a cost savings that they figured it would be. And so consequently there is. A school of thought that says, if you're using it as a platform to train yourself to the next level, maybe just start at that level and start getting good at that from the get go. So w- with the 22s, if we're telling someone to go get one, I mean, it always comes down to, well, what do you want to do? And the person says, I don't know. I want to do everything, <laughs> right? the ruger 1022 probably one of the most popular 22s out there is a semi-automatic 22 comes with a 10 round magazine and people can accessorize it to their hearts content and they can make it look um, old and wooden and tactical and gucci and whatever they want with it so the, that's a popular one um or you can go and, and it doesn't cost much money for them either uh, yeah, i know I call it. it the bad habit. I call yeah. it the bad habit,
1: bad habit rifle. Right. Oh, the I next round <laughs> we'll get it. next round we'll get it. Yeah, totally. It's like,
0: no, no, no. You know, when I started right. shooting, so my first gun was a little single shot, uh, 22 Stevens favorite. I think it was from around, to yeah. the turn of the century, um, falling block design and it had a custom stock made for it. So it fit my little five-year-old frame. I started shooting when I was four or five, got my first rifle. And it had a, uh, it's a, a cooey barrel that was cut down and changed and so that there wasn't as much weight on the front end of it. And it was one rounded at a time and you have to yeah. cock the hammer all the way back. And then you pull the trigger. I mean, the, the typically the hammer would cock back when you put the lever down, but that was disengaged for the youngster. Right. Yeah. And all I wanted was a semi-auto and I was told, no semi-auto until you can make your rounds count with this one, because all you end up doing is counting on that next round, right? So yep. when, when you say the bad habit maker, yeah, I can see it from that perspective. Definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So what my, what my dad taught me is he bought my brother and I, a uh, Bruno 22 full stock, fairly heavy, robust 22. Mm. Um, and, uh, and what his, what he says, look like I want you guys to, you know, for one, have a bolt action rifle so that you're, you are get used to cycling the shells from a shooting position. Yep. I want this to be a full stock, full length firearm so that you get used to handling a full length firearm that you kind of replicate the same shooting positions, uh, you know, as you go. And and so that was, that was his theory. And, and that's one that I've carried through to some of my training is like, just get the, like kind of follow through with. All, all of the, whether you're practicing your seated position or standing position or, um, you know, supported positions, uh, you know, with, with that firearm and you build some confidence in those physical positions. And then, you know, then you eventually, once you've got the confidence in shooting groups and then transitioning, but man, even when you go from a 22, like as soon as you step, like 22s are fun, they're easy to shoot. Mm. Like once you pull the trigger on a 308 or a 243, man, it, it is like stunningly, is shocking, <laughs> it's, not, it's not comfortable.
0: You know, it's not, yeah. For your first time. Yeah. Cause you don't know what to expect. Right. And a part of that process is, so if we've talked about the shotgun, uh, what you start learning with that shotgun is the fact that you can shoot light loads, you can shoot heavy loads, right? You can, oh, the, yeah. the lighter loads will have less recoil and you start learning how to manage recoil and the recoil management is a big part of um, ensuring that you don't flinch, right? You want to be able to maintain sight picture throughout your shot. Uh, the easiest way to maintain that recoil management with your, let's say your shotgun is you, you've got your, your four point of contact, right? You got your, your front hand on the four stock, you got your, your uh, shooting hand on the pistol grip and you've got your cheek on the, uh, on the stock and you got the stock firmly into your shoulder and All of those are pressing into the firearm and it's one of these things where space equals pain. If when you first start out, you're like, man, I don't want to get, I don't want to get hurt by this thing, I'm going to hold it away from my shoulder a little bit, or I'm I'm not really going to touch my cheek down onto the, uh, onto the comb of the stock here. No, no, you got to actually get that cheek on there and rest it down firmly. You have to put a little backwards pressure into your shoulder and. When you reduce that space, you reduce the pain. And and it's kind of like getting into a boxing ring with Mike Tyson. You give him a couple inches of smack you, man, you're going to hurt, but you glue his glove to your face, you're going to get dizzy, but he's not going to be doing damage. Like if you give him a little bit of distance, right? Yeah. Yeah, So so you see that that little gap creates
1: a bit of room for the firearm to travel and essentially punch you in the shoulder, right? So the more you, the more you, seal up the rifle to your body, whether it's through your cheek, your arm, through your hands, you're you're distributing that shock through your body more evenly mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and softening the energy exchange into your body.
0: Uh, yeah. Right. And the second thing is how do you manage that recoil? Now I remember, so when I was a kid and I started shooting, uh, some competitive rifle and was in the army cadet program and they had Lee fields, full-size rifles that were chambered in 22, they sleeved them, made them 22 compatible. Yeah. So similar to what your father's doing. Right. And then went on to full bore after that. But when you watch these little guys and gals shoot full bore. And you think, oh man, how are they going to handle that recoil? And they pull a shot and then they climb back up the mat again and they get in position, they take the shot and then they crawl back up the mat because it's pushing them back. And they shoot these (laughs) things all day long because of how that recoil is affecting their body. Whereas if you get a full size adult behind it that just plunks down and then they absorb all of that recoil, it's going to be a less enjoyable event. So learning to kind of roll back with it, to let, let it shove you and not fight, fight it. Like I've seen people when they're learning okay. to sh- shoot, somebody else gets behind and they hold their shoulder from the other side. Oh, I'm going to help them out. Right. Now, or they hold their shoulder from the back. Sorry. From, let's say they're in a yeah. standing position. You guys can't see it who are listening, but Dylan and I, we've got video going and we can, we got yeah. hands. We're, we're, we're high fiving to the video. And yeah. that's
1: right. No, no, absolutely. I, I've heard that like, you know, a more, uh, like, well, you you're, you're six foot lots and a fairly solid dude. And if you, if you were to shoot a high power high caliber rifle with lots of recoil, like because your body like unless you train your body, your body will actually instantly absorb that weight without recoiling whereas someone who is might much more slight um will actually like essentially like you know will absorb that and kind of fall backwards, but the actual amount of energy transferring into their body is less than maybe a heavier set person or or a, a, a bigger bigger person. So I, I've heard that and I've seen that too. I mean like Mickey is, you know, five foot nothing in a hundred you know, so buckle one or something like that. <laughs> and she's you know, she enjoys shooting way more than I do. And uh um, yeah. you know I, I yeah so it's it's kind of interesting to see how she's able to manage recoil. So right. Um well so with that in mind, like recoil being probably the thing that people most you know are concerned about when thinking about a center fire rifle. Um you know I, I think the majority of people uh, that I work with and that, that, we, that well, that are, you know, they're thinking they need a deer gun that they might be able to eventually go shoot a moose or an elk with at some point. Right. And, uh, but the primary thing is that, hey, they're they're learning still, they need a deer gun. Uh, where would you, what are some things you would consider when evaluating what caliber to consider for, for that new hunter who's trying to buy one firearm at least for the next three or four years while they
0: enter the, the hunting world? So... We'll talk about it and then I'll give you the shortcut. Essentially you talked about recoil. So recoil is just going to be energy, right? The energy coming back for every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction. You want to have enough energy in that projectile coming out in order to ethically and humanely harvest an animal. And they measure that energy by the mass of the projectile going out It's essentially uh, an equation, one half mass times the velocity squared, and that that'll give you the energy. So what that tells you is the more mass that projectile has, the more energy it's going to transfer in both directions, right? So that's going to be more recoil and more energy transfer Mm -hmm. onto the animal that you're wishing to harvest, but It's half mass times velocity squared. So if we take a look at the other side, if we, the more velocity we have, man, we can have less mass projectile, but of a higher velocity and still achieve the same or more energy on, on the target. So. There's a. So can
1: I just put that into. I'm going to say that back to you yeah, yeah. in a language that I think I understand. Okay. So you have the weight of the bullet. In grains. You have the speed. Yeah, in yeah. grains. We call it in grains. And then we have the speed the bullet goes. Yeah. And the more, the heavier and the faster the bullet goes, the more energy it will impact an animal with. That's right. And. and And?
0: And. Go on, I interrupted, go on.
1: (laughs) No, that was it. So I, so, and so, so if you have a, you can have a, and then you can start to play with the factors. You can have a, a lighter bullet going faster. Right. That'll make the same amount of energy, or you can have a heavier bullet
0: going slower. Right. Which will create enough energy or a similar amount of energy. So. Right. So. um, so when we look at it and the only reason I butt in, I said grains, right? Because really, I mean, we're measuring the energy in joules or foot pounds. It's because when people go to buy their ammunition for their firearm, they might just think, oh, I, I, I need, I need rounds for this caliber, but that can come in different weight grain projectiles that come out of there too. So you can have ones that perhaps have a bit more recoil or a bit more energy on the On the, on the animal as well. So, I mean, when we talk about grains, we measure powder in the same way. And I know some people get confused and they're like, hold on, are you counting those individual grains and no, that's, that's not how it is. Grains is a unit of measurement. I mean, we've got. Uh, jewelers will use Troy weight, right. And I think grains kind of came in there through the English system, druggists use apothecary weight, uh, Averdupois system was uh, ounces and pounds and stuff. And I I think between Averdupois and Troy grains are probably measured about the same, if I recall correctly, but it's just a unit of measurement for weight. So if you say I've got a 175 grain bullet, right. You're going to know that, that they're just talking about how much that thing weighs. Yeah, and
1: 175 grain bullet weighs more than 120 grain bullet.
0: Easy. Yeah. And that's, you, and that's it, right? You don't have to go that's much, it. For, don't have to go much further than that one, but. It weighs about an ounce maybe. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but now we know I can have that one rifle and I might be able to get different ammunition for it, for maybe something that I wanted, uh, penetrate a little bit deeper. And that penetration is going to come through projectile shape, right? And that projectile shape affects a ballistic coefficient. And that's a fancy way of saying just how it cuts through the air, right? The higher the ballistic coefficient, the better it cuts through the air. Uh, but as well, it'd be like, let's you have a needle, a needle can go through something pretty darn good, but it's not going to be transferring the energy the same way that a hammer would, right? A hammer is going to probably not penetrate through something that well, but it's going to transfer a lot of that energy. So these are all kind of things that people can kind of keep in the back of their mind. And I told you there's going to be a shortcut at the end of this. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I, I love it <laughs> this because you said, you know, I, I, uh, when I asked you to talk about this topic, you're like, ah, you know, I can I can kind of get in the weeds a little bit when yeah, I get into this I, stuff. I, so I'm, I'm enjoying this. So yeah, <laughs> I, I gave an example. I did, yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I gave an example to you because I said there is um, CBC asked me to do a uh, to opine on something one time and. I turned them down and then said, I referred them to another individual. And afterwards I listened to that individual's answer. And although that answer, in my opinion, was technically wrong, it was the correct answer for CBC because it was so clear, so concise and to the point. And really on the technical side, who cares? What, what he got across was right. So yes, I can get into the weeds a bit. Uh, but this is good. So let, so I think it's an important thing. I mean, these are things that as people can,
1: pick up on some of this stuff and they can, and they can, you know, they can dig deeper into this and. As and they you wish, yeah. About, yeah. And, and so the, 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 it's important to recognize that bullets have different shapes. Some are, are fly through the air better sure. than others. And others do a better job of essentially killing an animal. Like they they're designed to, um, hit an animal and, and they're, and they're designed to, well, they, we call it opening up or, or, uh, um. Getting like a mushrooming out, and, and then eventually, with the bullets are actually designed to try and like when they hit the animal, they're kind of designed to stop. They're trying ideally, they're going to hit the animal, drive, penetrate the flesh, through the the heart and lungs, and then ultimately stop there. Like they want to dissipate all of their energy in the animal to maximize the purpose of that bullet, which is to kill the animal. Other bullets are designed to to fly really stable and flat for a long distance and be extremely accurate at distance but they may be less uh, effective at that job of potentially hitting an animal and opening up and killing it so there's always a bit of a balance between uh, you know what that bull is designed to do and its performance whether it's for target shooting or the performance if it's designed to be a a load that is intended to shoot into to open up and, and kill an animal. So that's sort of where we, we you can right. dive into that bullet world and get to know what different bullet manufacturers and how they perform at, at different, and they all perform at different speeds too, is it's, it's fascinating stuff. You can go down, you can go deep into it, right? You know, but.
0: That's a guy's named Brian Litz or Litz Litz. He's got a few books out there. I mean, if you really want to geek out on that kind of stuff, there's a guy to go check out his, but And that this is exactly what you say here, which is why we have laws that say, if you're going to be using certain types of ammunition for harvesting animals, it has to be expanding ammunition. It's got to be designed to be able to open up and transfer that energy. And and there are, I guess, different schools of thought within hunters, some who say, man, I wanted to the projectile to go in and stop in the middle of that animal and just completely make your primary wound channel and your secondary cavity. And it just, I, I want a lot of damage, go right through. Some say I don't want it to stop till it gets to the skin on the other side, right? Like basically as much penetration without over penetrating. And then I've heard some say, no, I want through and through, I wanted to go in, do some damage and then come out the other side. Cause it gives a better blood trail to track, eh, you know, Once you start getting there, you're, you're using your expanding tip projectiles and you're probably cranking out a little too much power. And when we start looking at this power thing, when people start saying, I want one gun quite often they say bigger is better and bigger is not necessarily better because the worst thing that you can do as a new firearms owner is ingrain a flinch in yourself right from the get-go. That's hard to overcome a flinch. He's still there, Dylan. All right. So right about now, I realize that Dylan is having some technical difficulties on his end and this voiceover. Well, this voiceover is only here to serve as a segue between the first half and the second half. I don't know where I was because we've been down for a little bit. The joys of doing (laughs) online (laughs) podcasting. This is a second time. this is the yeah. second time, Dylan, but you and I, first time your battery, you forgot to plug in your computer, but this time it wasn't your fault. How do you remember these things? God. Okay. I don't great. know. Great. <laughs> okay. Everything. It's like yeah, a steel trap, a little rusty I know, some I know, I, I, it, right? I, yeah, yeah
1: you're, you're pulling out these quotes from these, like, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, but yeah, no, I definitely, uh, yeah, I just had a malfunction in the whole system here, but I appreciate your patience and we'll get back to it. So we were, we were kind of talking about like, you know, bullet coefficient and talking about bullet, you know, the the variation, and, and I think this is a cool thing you're talking about, is like this, the variation between, you know, even if you go with one caliber rifle, you still have a lot of option as to whether you want to shoot heavy bullets out of it or uh, lighter bullets or, uh, and, and the bullet configuration, how they're designed and shape has a difference. So, you know, it's a kind of a cool conversation because as much as a variation in the caliber, which is where I want to kind of lead us here, There's also within any caliber, there's variation in terms of the weight, the design of the bullet, what it's designed to do. And then he even mentioned about grains and how many grains of gunpowder that you put behind the bullet to shoot it, which makes it perform differently. So it, it really is a complicated discussion. um, As you get down and start talking about, uh, you know, bullet design and the configuration of the actual cartridge. Right. Um, So, so on that note, what, what what do you think is the most versatile cartridge? Like so, the ver- most versatile
0: caliber? So a total wormhole. So I'm going to throw a few out. Okay. Because if okay. someone's getting into it and they want to use it for hunting, I mean, in British Columbia, anyways, we don't have any restrictions uh, on our big game hunting until you get to bison, right? So yeah. bite bison's what 175 grain, uh, 2000 foot pound, Uh or more energy at hundred meters. So aside from that, you're, you kind of free to use whatever you want when you're hunting anything but bison. So you, you're going to want to, I mean, there are some center fire cartridges that just don't have much oomph behind them that it just wouldn't be ethical sure. to use. But if you're starting out and you're getting into it a 243 Winchester, a 6.5 Creedmoor, seven millimeter 08. 308 Winchester, 270 Winchester, 30-06. I mean, they're all great choices and 30-06 is always the old standby. Everyone says, ah, it's got a 30-06. You can load up, you can load down, uh, go with that. Uh, 6.5 Creedmoor has been uh, gaining a heck of a lot more popularity lately. it has got detractors. It's got the people who just swear by it, but it's, it's going out of there at a faster rate. And the big thing it has going for it is very low recoil and still Mm -hmm. great muzzle energy, great ballistic coefficient cuts through the air and it'll take out most of the game that you want within British Columbia, most game within North America. I pulled some good sized black bears with a uh, 6.5 Creedmoor just this year. It comes down to your familiarity with the firearm and your ability to put around where it matters, because if you're shooting something in the tail or the foot, I mean, maybe, maybe a needle, a cannon behind you. But if you take your time and you close that distance, you practice everything that you're learning through eat wild and everything you're learning through silver core and put that round where it matters, then you don't really need a huge honking caliber to do the job. And in fact, uh, I, I did a pod, sorry, i let you go. I did a podcast with a fellow at, uh, you and I both know with, uh, Marshall Lowen and he was, he recounted this, oh yeah, he recounted a story of a, um, indigenous woman who would use a 22 for moose hunting and he says, yeah. well, isn't that hard? He says, she says the hard part's getting the animal home, <laughs> right? So shot placement really is where it's at.
1: I heard an uh, interesting discussion and it was about like the sort of uh, this 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 guy went from hunting being a rifle hunter to a bow hunter and then you really get focused on shot placement with the bow and 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 with a bow, like you really are just trying to poke a hole in the lung with mm. a with a with a blade essentially and then you hope that that one hole in the lung, causes bleeding in the lungs and dies. And, and and the point that I thought was interesting is the individual said, you know, it was so, it's just like, it just puts the whole discussion around, you know, is 243 enough caliber to take down a a deer or a moose or it's just like, it just like there's the 243 causes catastrophic damage to lungs absolutely beyond the, put any potential of any bow hunter out there and there's bow hunters shooting moose and bison and anything else. So like that, like going to your point about shot placement, any, any of those high powered center fire rifles will cause enough damage to the lungs. If you cause damage, if you put a hole in the lungs, those animals will die. They will die quickly and efficiently and ethically. So a lot of it is about shot placement, um, it really what, what I think where people start to think about, uh, you know, increasing, you know, the distance they can shoot and carry energy out to longer distances, it becomes a bit of a discussion. And, and whereas mm-hmm. some of the lighter rifles lose energy cause they're don't have as much gunpowder behind the, the bullet on a smaller rifle, like I, I have a 300 uh, Winchester Magnum and it, it's a g- gigantic cartridge and it makes a huge bang. Sure it does. And.
0: Yeah, Boots <laughs> like, like, like a mule.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't like it, but <laughs> it, you know, it, I have every confidence that when I'm shooting an elk at 250 to 300 yards, which is my outside range of comfort on an animal of that size, that it's got plenty of, it still has 2000 foot pounds of energy um, to, to cause devastation. To the lungs, and if I miss the lungs, that hit it hit in the shoulder. It's gonna break enough shoulder and eventually work its way into the lungs. That I'm gonna is gonna be a dead, you know, dead elk, hundred percent for sure. Whereas maybe with the two forty three at three hundred yards, if you hit the shoulder, it may not penetrate through the shoulder and into the lungs. And I think that's kind of where the discussion starts to go a little bit sideways or gets a little bit more relevant, but if your shot place is perfect, it's all irrelevant. It's all like, yeah, uh, 22 will do enough damage to the lungs as long as you get it between the ribs, you know?
0: So Colonel, well. Colonel Townsend Wayland, and he was a guy for many, many years, everyone would quote him and he says uh thousand foot pounds of energy. That's what you need, right? So yeah, like full stop, um, and everyone says, oh, we need a thousand foot pounds. So if it's at X distance, I want to have a thousand foot pounds at that distance in order to have ethical and humane the way that modern bullets are constructed and modern ammo is being made. And some people have different thoughts on it, but that's always been the general knowledge. And when you look at how you're going to be putting an animal down, it's going to die through realistically one of two ways. Uh, one way you've got a CNS shot, a central nervous system shot. So that's going to be brain or spinal cord, right? Uh, second way is going to be that you induce hypovolemic shock. Essentially you you induce hypovolemic shock through massive cardiopulmonary decompression, and that's going to be interruption of its ability to breathe or circulate oxygen through its body, through heart or through lungs. And the fastest way to fix that is to have it bleed out quickly, right? So you can put a whole bunch of rounds into something, the more rounds, the faster you're going to introduce that shock but you're also wasting a whole ton of meat too. Right. So yeah. those are some of the considerations when it comes to rifles, cause just uh, segue back to your point, just tell them what to get. Uh, take a T3X, very popular. Uh, the new Sauer 100s, popular, Mauser M18s, popular and affordable, right? So those are a few things that the listeners might want to look at. They're all Mauser action, bolt action rifles. That's simple. Yeah. Simple.
1: So it's bolt, a, bolt action for sure. The, uh, um, well, let, let's not, let's not, we're not gonna let you off the hook that simple. You, you listed s- like seven different calibers. Uh, if you had to buy one caliber for your son, who is going to turn say, turn 16 years old. I got him a 6.5 Creedmoor.
0: That's what my son shoots and, okay. and my son shoots that because that's what my wife shoots and. I wish shoots that because international barrels in Abbotsford spun up a barrel in 6.5 Creedmoor for me just to test out. And it keeps us all on the same ammo platform when, when we're out there. If it, rather than everybody using different ammo, 6.5 Creedmoor, it was something that I was interested in from an accuracy standpoint, did some reading about it. I uh, wanted to see how the thing performed out in the field. And so far I've been impressed with it. I'm using the Hornady ELDX bullets in them and it's, um, uh, it's putting the animals down quickly and humanely and, but that's just because I happened to get it from uh, international barrels. They made this deadly accurate barrel and I I ended up just going with that for my wife and uh, son, cause of the low recoil.
1: Yeah. And that's, so I think that's, to me, that's the point I want to key on is that the comfort of shooting. So I, I'm a big advocate of the 243, the 6.5 or the 708, 7 millimeter 08, because all three of those guns have significantly less recoil than a .30-06 or a 270, mm-hmm. um, both of which are awesome calibers. But the the three that I just listed, they, they have probably 30% to 40% less recoil. So they're just more comfortable to shoot. And, and I I think, I mean, this is something that I suffered from as a kid, I, you know, the first gun that my dad, my dad bought me a, about a six and a half pound 30-06 when I was 13 or 14 years old and handed to me with a a couple of boxes, 180 grain federal bullets. And I went and shot it and just beat the shit out of myself. And I, and I, and I maintained that same fear of recoil and well, and I still Ha, I still have a flinch that I I work on at all the time and I i have improved my shooting over the years, but the thing that improved my shooting the most is that when I bought a 7mm 08 and I took it to the range and I was like, wow, this feels to me like I'm shooting a 22. It, it's mm-hmm. just, I'm not afraid of it. I'm comfortable. I just started started building on, like I make a good shot and I make another good shot and I make another good shot and I got a good group and that confidence just like helped me build up my confidence, say that I could never comfortably shoot the 30-06, I never enjoyed shooting it. Um, I ended up winning a 300 when I was, you know, somewhere in my mid-20s at a, at a BC Wild Day Federation conference. So now I've got this beautiful teak at 300, um, which is great elk moose gun and it and I really got into elk hunting then. So it was, you know, effective for, for hunting elk, but I hated shooting it. And I still do actually, like, I, like, I'm like, I'm glad, like one shot a year, great, go to the range, two inches high at a hundred yards, done, back in the case, <laughs> let's go elk hunting. Like it's like, but I'll sit there and I'll actually shoot with my 708 and I'll build my confidence and comfort at shooting at 300 yards and, and, and just trying to, I just enjoy shooting and that's the first time and that I didn't enjoy shooting until I was basically in my thirties, like, um, which is something to be said for that. So, so yeah, I like the, I like the call in the 6.5,
0: um. And that's not activity. because I'm married to the cartridge. It's just happened to be something I was testing out and it works well, but the, all the cartridges you mentioned there, recoil is going to be one of the things that puts people off the most, the fit of the firearm. You want to make sure it fits to you. Recoil can be mitigated through proper technique. It can be mitigated through having a heavier firearm because that's going to change felt recoil. The energy recoil is going to be the same, but the length of time it takes for the to impact on you is going to be dissipated over a longer time period so it's gonna feel more like a shove than a sharp push and then a good recoil pad on there or even a muzzle break if you don't mind uh the loud out your your job. exactly so <laughs> yeah. that that can all help <laughs> that can that can all help. Yeah. And and so the, yeah, totally. the the real shortcut to all of that and we're talking about different like kind of calibers and guns and models and all the rest and you're talking about the Vancouver urban Urbanite living in an apartment Go to Reliable Gun and Tackle on Fraser Street and they have a wide selection and they'll take you down and they'll take you through it. And they just get those same questions asked day in, day out, and they're going to find something that works with your budget and that'll work for you or your local gun store. I mean, I just say reliable because you're talking about Vancouver there. That that well, would be that guys. would be the shortcut. I take this knowledge and go yeah, on and say it, I heard Dylan yeah. and Travis talking about this. <laughs>
1: Can we get a, so yeah, we got to I got a seven oh eight or a six point five, but I I think the other one that that falls into that same category that's worth mentioning it is the three oh eight. And I think the three oh eight is kind of the you know, it, it's 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 a it's a uh both the six point five Creedmoor and the seven oh eight are all built on the same cartridge as a three oh eight. I think it's I think is it the same cartridge? The yeah. same with the 6.45, yeah. Right. And it's just a different size bullet that they're shooting out of the same cartridge, but they're all a relative, they're a short action rifle. They're, so that means they're not, they're a shorter full, that the bullet length or the cartridge length is, is short, Um, which is, there's some advantage of that because the, the gun is overall shorter. In, in some cases you save an inch versus the 708 is a, a whole inch longer, the bullet or the, the cartridge is an inch longer. So you just get that much more metal and around the chamber and stuff. So. Some merit to that, but the the the, the 308 is kind of got that balance of recoil, but it still will shoot a, a heavier bullet. If you it'll if you take everything, to say bison yep. it'll take everything, and yeah, most it's super the the bullet. That's other thing to think about is it, the affordability of the bullets. Like 308 ammo was by far the cheapest ammo. So you can shoot lots of it, if you're going to shoot lots. Um,
0: it's affordability and availability, especially if you're going to be out in Timbuktu with a firearm, you want to have something that you can find ammo for if you need it. And that, that was why I think 6.5 took a while for people to kind of adopt because up until recently, it wasn't as ubiquitous.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. So the, the only, and then just thinking about like, you know the only downside of going with like a three hundred eight or sorry a thirty out six or a two seventy, you know ultimately is is how you manage recoil. Like you said, there's there's options for managing recoil. Those rifles kind of do everything if you want them. To, particularly the yeah if you're a long range shooter, the two seventy is a great option. If you want to be a moose hunter, an elk hunter, and a deer hunter, the the thirty out six is about as good as it gets. But again, you're managing recoil. So I I. I, I think we kind of, I think we kind of covered that off a little bit. I, I think so. We,
0: I think for more or yeah. less. And if they want to delve in more, I mean, they can always email us, phone us up. Sure, email us. And and I like your suggestion. Just, just go see, uh, go see the guys
1: or the the folks, I should say, um, down at uh, down at Reliable. They they, they they what I like about Reliable is they they're a very accessible shop. Like they 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 could see a new hunter walking to the door, and they and they and they make you feel welcome, and 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 make you feel like it's not a that because it's a fairly intimidating experience walking into a gun store. and um, they, they do a good job of, yeah, making everybody feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, on that note, I was going to ask you, this is one of the questions I had and, and uh, as we, we're going to try and wrap up here, I think, but I'm curious, what do you think the value is in the market of say like a new hunter going, hey, should I buy a used rifle or a new rifle? Um, do you have any thoughts on on which, which direction to go?
0: Uh, yeah, get new. Get get, yeah, get, well, get a new, for that? <laughs> get a new rifle, unless you're getting it from a reputable source, it'll stand behind it afterwards because a lot of, uh, when you're getting brand new into this, you want to know that your equipment works and if you're buying something used off of, uh, uh uncle Bob, or if <laughs> you find an advertisement in a, in a buy and sell somewhere and you pick the thing up. There's a whole bunch of questions that you're going to have. Like did the person mess with it ahead of time? I mean, you never know how, there's a lot of backyard gunsmiths and people who get a a Dremel tool and they figure that, Hey, I can do whatever I want. And now I'm a gunsmith. I got a Dremel. If you know what you're doing, by all means get used, right? If you're into it for a while and you're, you've been around firearms, you know what you're looking for. Get a used firearm. I mean, you, there's a possibility to save some good money and get some great deals, but if you're just getting into it, the price of some of these new firearms that shoot extremely well out of the box, it just, to me, it doesn't make sense to delve in the, in the used market as your first firearm. I
1: totally agree. Like there's not, there's. I mean, the one thing that, that's great about if you're going to be that person that buys lots of firearms, it's kind of like having money in the bank. Like firearms don't typically go down in value all that much. The resale value is pretty high on a well cared for rifle. So the flip side of that is that if you're, you know, thinking that you're going to go, you're, you want to save a few hundred bucks and you're going to explore the used market, a good quality firearm that's been well cared for is going to be basically the same cost as a new one. It's incredible that you know, the, the resale value, um, you know, often guns, the manufacturers, it's just not available, some of the, some of the calibers or the uh, the type of, type of rifle. So I've, I've got rifles in my closet that are worth more now than when I bought them three or four years ago. Like it's, it's, it's kind of unique that way. So I don't think there's a huge benefit of going using it. Like you said, there's the concern of what, you know, what was the history of the rifle before, so.
0: And even if everything's um, fine on the firearm, but you're not hitting the target and you're sitting in the back of your head thinking, is it because the rifle's not working as it should? Did somebody monkey with it, right? At least you can yeah, eliminate yeah. some of those variables.
1: Well, and then the, la- the last thing about use firearms, are like, I've got some firearms I don't like because I've never been able to shoot them well. Sure. So there's something fundamentally wrong with me or something fundamentally wrong with the rifle. And I might consider selling that rifle and passing it on because I just never been able to get comfortable with it. So. Mm-hmm. Most the firms that that I that I like that you that that I shoot well with are still in my locker. Yeah, hold on to so like the ones that are out there, like uh, you know. I mean, the only way I see like there's benefit of going with some where you get some benefit is maybe in the optics part. Like you might find like an old Remington with a good Leopold Goldwyn scope on it for five or six hundred bucks or something like that. And you maybe you're getting three hundred dollars with optics and it's a three or four hundred dollar gun and the package is probably better than you might buy for the same value in the in the new market. Um, you know, there's maybe those types of deals around. And maybe if you have an uncle or a family member that, you know, is passing on some guns and moving them out, there may be some options to look at. Um, but I think, you know, the other piece and the last question I'm gonna ask you, Travis, before I let you go and yeah. enjoy the rest of your evening is uh is, you know, people come up against the question of whether they should buy a stainless rifle or a blued rifle when thinking about their first rifle. Do you have any initial thoughts on on where the value is there.
0: Yeah. Stainless. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Getting your first rifle. I mean, you're brand new to the game of learning how to clean it and learning how to care for it. Uh, blued firearms are great and there's nothing wrong with them. Really, if you're learning about how to care for your firearm and you're going to be out in the field for a few days, save yourself the hassle and just get something that's going to stain Less, it's not that it's not going to rust, right? It's, it's, no. it's, it's can no. still very well rust and the parts inside it can rust, but uh, it, and if you don't like the color of it, color of the uh, silver firearm, paint it, or they, you can actually, there is chemical processing, you can blacken a stainless firearm, you can buy them like that too. But, uh, and any, the old school of thought was that stainless didn't shoot as well as a, uh, let's say a, a blued carbon. A steel firearm, yeah. advancements in metallurgy and the way it's put together, you know, most of the high end shooters are shooting stainless barrels, so I, I would be inclined as a brand new shooter to, to go that route and then you can yeah. play around from there. I don't know, what would you say? You know, oh, I mean, I grew up with like uh, I, I grew up with stainless guns
1: cause that was when my, that was the first gun I had and I. Uh, I did buy us like a beautiful, you know, wood stock stire with a blued barrel. Um, oh yeah. That was that 708 that I came across somewhere nice. along the way and um a beautiful gun. I love shooting it, but I, like, I, like, I, 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 the thought of taking it on a
0: sheep hunt or something, just like, I was like, no, I can't do that. I just, just destroy it. And, uh. And that's it. like. You, you nailed, yeah, you, kn- you nailed another point there because really who cares if it's rusted? I mean, will it still shoot as long as it's not rusty in the boar? It'll still shoot, yeah. but it's the worry- it's like jewelry, man. That's it. You got <laughs> it's it. Like, it's right? <laughs> it's so like if you're jewelry. going out and breaking the bank to buy some brand new first firearm you've ever had and, and you just got the most expensive, pretty thing out there, are you really going to want to use it? Right?
1: Well, I've got a hunting partner, but Jenny P, who is often on the podcast, she has a, uh, a nice, like a, 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 a micromitis browning. Uh, firearm, and, and this is a real piss off. If you're, if you're a female, hunt, or if you're a short statured hunter with a short pull, length of pole, you have very few options for gun manufacturers that make firearms in uh, smaller rifles for, um, in stainless steel. In fact, there's almost no options. The majority of the manufacturers make youth model rifles, but I I think in their mind, they're like, well, if you're a youth, you're going to grow out of this gun. So you don't really need a stainless long-term gun, but you know, the, I've been down this path a number of times with, with female, uh, you know, friends of mine who are shorter statured and, and we're looking for a smaller gun and, and there's very few firearms on the market that are both stainless steel give you an array of calibers and come in more uh, micro sizes and uh the the one that um actually helped my cousin Jess and then now just Mickey buy is a is a Remington Model 7 it's mm-hmm. a in a it's a and it's a short stock and a short barrel and it 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 does come in a stainless barrel um beautiful little gun and uh but there's very few options that, available to to smaller statured shooters. So something that the industry could start cluing into that, uh, you know, <laughs> women and little people want to hunt in the mountains too, and want to have the versatility of a stainless gun. Totally. Um,
0: or, yeah. or just make it modular. Yeah. So you can just, rather than having to take it to a gunsmith and chop it down, uh, get one that you can just take spacers out, right? You could <laughs> yeah, sell to yeah, of course. a whole wide, <laughs> from, from a marketing standpoint, I don't know. Um, yeah. but you're right. Yeah. You're right. Not a
1: lot of options. And so anyway, I think I was talking about Jenny P who I, you know, we, we've done huge adventure hunts together and this poor like Browning uh, Micro Midas that she has is, which is a Woodstock and a blue barrel. Like it's just been beat to shit. Like we, we, we took uh, last year, we took it on 150 kilometers of whitewater rafting, um, you know, knocking on the bottom of a boat. It was, uh, we went on a, a bear saltwater fishing bear hunt So her rifle is like knocking around on the front of my boat in saltwater conditions. Um, you know. So let
0: me ask you this, is it rusty? Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's rusting up, but but the barrel is probably fine.
0: Okay. So yeah, you know, it's one of these things that, uh, you really got to stay on top of it if you're going to be in those conditions for a long period of time. There's nothing wrong with blued, there really isn't. But for a first gun, if you had the money to spend and you're, uh, looking for a little bit easier maintenance than the rest of yourself, I, I'd lean towards stainless.
1: Yeah, I think stainless is the, I mean, if you can afford it, it, it is probably 30% more, I think, like if you across the board to invest in the 20 or 30% more, but I, I think you'll get that back right away when you, the first time you get out there and you know, you come back to your tent, it's soaking wet and your gun's soaking wet and you can't do anything to really dry it out because you're sleeping in a pup tent for the night and it rains for four more days after that, like. It's a lot, it's really nice having that. Or
0: they could listen, they could listen to the tips and tricks on the Eat Wild podcast about how to care for your firearm when out in the field. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. Yeah, we should mention
1: that. So, so the, the last time that, yeah, we, we talked, we hung out, we talked about, we had gun care in the field and, and storage and, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And that, like I said, that was the one that probably got the most feedback from listeners, just like enjoyed just getting that, uh, those tips, but. This has been really fun hanging out with you, Travis. I, I I think uh we should do this more often and hang out. I think we've got a bit of a plan. I I, I taught I talked to Mark Call of the Hunter Conservationist and I uh podcast and I, I think it'd be fun having a longer conversation around like, you know, Hunting certification and training for firearms for 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 new hunters and the standards that we apply and and what that looks like when people get out there in the field. I think there's a great conversation there. So I'm hoping that we can meet up in the next couple of months and and have that conversation with Mark. And are you up for that?
0: How fun would that be? Oh. And yeah, I yeah, and I think between the out. three of us, we could probably have a, an opinion or two on the uh, on the subject matter, perhaps. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we've all done a lot to, you know, I think everybody's the same, you know, when it comes to new hunters and, and ensuring that people have the support they need and the mentorship. I think that's something that we're all talking about and thinking about. And, uh, we know how hard it is for, for new hunters to, to get in and get involved. So, um, Travis, if people want to find you, where do they find you.
0: So if they're looking for the Silvercore podcast, you can download that anywhere fine podcasts are distributed, so we're essentially on all the platforms or YouTube, or you can go to silvercore.ca and uh, we should, I believe we've got blog posts with the, uh, full transcripts. And if you have ADHD, like myself, and you just want to get right to the point, you can find it right there.
1: Oh, cool. Let's take it to the next level. That's awesome. <laughs> and that uh, Awesome. And then hey, of course, Travis is. Of gonna course, you're going
0: to have a copy of this transcript as well. If this is a sharecast, I'll give you a copy yeah. and then there you go. Good to go.
1: There you go. I learned something. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed having you on here, Travis. Um, Hey, so everybody else out there, thanks so much for hanging out with Travis and I. you know, for sure, we're still living COVID life. I just want to say, like, you know, we're, we're all on lockdown here. No doubt you know some people that are that are really challenged right now with maintaining social connections. So I just say, remind you to get out there, call up those friends of yours, have a conversation, reach out to them, because I know that people are suffering right now. Just something I've been thinking about lots right now as uh, as these days are getting shorter. Um, yeah, stay connected with those people you care about and reach out. Um, yeah, and I'll be doing more podcasts coming up. And if you're looking for a gift for this uh. Christmas, I have a, I'm rolling out my, um, uh, my eat wild webinar series. It's a great idea for the hunter in your life to give him a gift of learning and hanging out with, uh, Dylan and friends on the, on the webinar series. So
0: I can vouch for that one because I sat in on one of your webinars and that was a fun time. That was a good thing. Check it out.
1: Oh yeah, there are tons of fun. Thanks for that Travis So I, I enjoy doing them and, uh, usually get an audience of, you know, 20, 25 people and a few experts and we just, uh, got a presentation to follow and, uh. Yeah, do our best to equip people on a topic that uh, I think is important to be a better hunter. So yeah, they've been fun.
0: Dylan, it was a great idea. I love doing these things. I look forward to the next one we do.
1: Yeah, right on. That was a lot of fun. We'll see ya. Take care.